Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 207. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and on today's episode, I'm interviewing Camille Attell from Remote Work School. I actually met Camille back in 2017 at her very first RV Entrepreneur Summit. She was hanging out with some friends when they told her about this random conference with a bunch of RV entrepreneurs, and it was taking place in Texas. So her and her husband, Bryce, drove across the country to come to our very first conference where Camille and I met. Before I met Camille, she was working as a corporate trainer and kind of a standard nine-to-five job. When she hit the road, she wasn't really sure what was going to be next, but she used her transition to traveling the country in an RV to really relaunch and pivot her career. This is a term that I feel like I've heard more and more over the past few years, a career pivot, and it can sound a little bit cliche in some ways, but on the other side, I think from my perspective, it takes a lot of bravery and there's a lot of fear of the unknown when you leave something that you've been doing for a really long time and essentially start from scratch and basically take all the things that you've learned in your career to date and apply them to something new. In this episode, we really dive in deep with Camille on what she learned both firsthand and from working with students as part of her remote work school on how to find remote work. We talk about things like creating an inventory of your skills, understanding the fears associated with starting a remote job and know you don't always have to take a pay cut, and how taking one course can just open up infinite new opportunities for you. We also talk about how Camille found her niche and how creating courses for her as a blogger was much easier than the courses she used to create in a corporate setting. And before we get into this episode with Camille, I want to share her free masterclass on finding remote work and give her a plug for that because she provided so much value in this episode. This free masterclass is designed to work you through the framework to start finding the right remote job for you. You can sign up for free by going to heathandalyssa.com forward slash remote. There, if you decide to enroll in Camille's Remote Work 101 program, you can get a 50% discount, and she will guide you through making a plan, refreshing your resume, finding job opportunities, and even interviewing you for your remote job. She has walked a lot of people through the process of this career pivot and being able to figure out what's next for them. So I hope you really enjoy this episode with Camille Attell. Camille, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So when did we meet? We met in, I, I'm the, I'm the, I'm going to start off the podcast not doing the thing that I'm the worst at, which is answering my own questions. Cause every time I listen to that and post, it annoys me. So where did we meet for the first time? Well, my recollection is that we met at the RV entrepreneur summit and I think it was February of 2017. Is that right? That was the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was the first yeah. one. Gosh, that feels like an eternity ago. Doesn't it? It feels like a decade. <laughs> yeah. So what, I mean, um, what was going on in your life during that time when we first met? Sure. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I've come full circle. <laughs> and so I'm just honored to be on this podcast. Uh, what was going on is that my husband Bryce and I had been on the road in our RV for, oh, I don't know, about maybe four or five months. Uh, we had left in August of 2016 after super long traditional corporate careers, and um, we were <laughs> we were excited about being on the road. We were also pretty lonely 
in the first few months. We hadn't quite figured out how to find a community or know where our people were. And I had started up a conversation, I think by accident, with um, the tax queen, Heather. Mm. Um, gosh, what's her last name? I'm totally blanking. Uh, Heather, Heather Ryan. Heather Ryan, Heather Ryan. Somehow we met online and she uh, was like, yeah, well, we're going to be going to this RV Entrepreneur Summit in February. And I was like, what is that? What is, what is that? That sounds really interesting. So she explained it. She's like, yeah, he's Melissa. I was like, who are they? Like, who, why don't I know the, why don't I know anyone in the RV community? I feel like I should know people at this point. So I'll fast forward through, you know, all the extra stuff over the next couple months ended up changing our entire route just to go to that summit because we had been on track to go to some other states. But when we found out it was in Texas, we just redirected and hauled from California to Texas in about maybe six days just to go to your summit. And I'm so grateful that you came. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. I I, uh, I remember, I, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, but I remember having a conversation with you or Alyssa was talking with you at one point, And I think you had mentioned that you were at certain point, like feeling overwhelmed in mm -hmm. regards to like starting a blog or something. And you actually ended up meeting several other girls. I don't know if you met before the summit or at the summit uh, and starting like a mastermind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, to say that I was overwhelmed with blogging is an understatement. I mean, I was overwhelmed with a lot of things and, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, I had only been on the road, like I said, at that point, uh, I don't know what, five, five months or something, plus starting a business, plus trying to be married in an RV, plus trying to plan travel. Like it was a lot. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up meeting Liz Wilcox and barely at your summit. And then I, I didn't even meet Lindsay McKenzie. I, I ended up like seeing her. And then later I met her online. And then there was another woman named Julie Chickery, who I did not meet at your summit because she wasn't there, but I met her online. And we ended up just kind of joining forces. And it didn't, I guess it started kind of as a mastermind. I, I wouldn't say we were intentional about that, but it turned into one over time and we ended up helping each other and supporting each other with blogging. And then from, from that, we grew into uh, full-time freedom week and a whole bunch of other stuff that we still do together. Actually, we, this year we formed an actual business entity. So that's, that's awesome. Been cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is such an important component of this podcast. And I think for me, takeaway in going down any road that involves a lot of loneliness because yeah. traveling can be isolating, building a business can be isolating. Doing both of them is even <laughs> more significantly isolating. And so I can't emphasize how important I think having people along for the journey is because they, a lot of times they start out as friendships and putting yourself out there. And then they, they end up like turning into some of the most meaningful, uh, like working relationships that you can possibly have. Um, and I just think that's so important, especially now when we're even more remote. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so true. Yeah. I'm so fortunate. I feel really happy that, uh, you know, right before coming to your summit, I had attended, I think the second annual escapers, um, quote unquote bash. Back then it wasn't even called a bash. It was just a few rigs in the desert. And I was so happy to find that community. And then later I found your community. And then that led me to Liz. And like I said, and Lindsay and Julie and so many other people that will be my friends forever. 
And I, I just feel so fortunate to have found that early on because I think I, I don't know if this is true or not because you never know what could have happened, but I might have quit in that first year. I might have quit um, RVing and I might have quit on the business because I just didn't know what I was doing. And so having that community uh, was just incredibly um, critical for me. I totally understand and empathize with that because I've to an annoying extent on this podcast have talked about runway and the value of runway Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and financially and how meaningful that has been as a framework for me. But I think the other lesson that has been apparent over time is that emotion like runway has two sides, financial and emotional. Mm -hmm. And say you're bootstrapping a business for a few years, you may not run out of cash. But if you just emotionally get to that point where you're just like, screw this, I'm done. Mm -hmm. That is just as real as running out of money. Like you run out of mental and emotional bandwidth. So true. Yeah. Having Mm -hmm. people along who's going to encourage you and push you and just drive you to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, I think is, is just, I can't emphasize that as a, as a key learning enough, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I agree. So anyway, going to your story. So you came to the summit in 2017, you're making Mm -hmm. friends, you're out traveling on the road in the RV with Bryce. And at a certain point, you decide to, like, you had been creating content, I think, on your blog, but maybe it was more broad, like it wasn't specific to finding remote work. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's this thing that when you go out RVing, you're supposed to start a blog. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. I don't know who invented that, but it's a cruel, cruel joke. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm very, I feel good that I did it, but... um, you know, blogging's no joke. I, I mean, I started off thinking like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start a blog because everyone's like, oh, you're gonna start a blog? Sure, sure. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had no concept on what that meant or how to monetize it or anything. So in the beginning, I think we started by probably the way a lot of people start who may not know, but we just started sort of blogging about what we were doing and our, you know, the typical stuff that I think some people fall into the trap of just my, my travels and this and that. And then of course I started realizing, well, that wasn't going to make any money. And what did I really want to do with this thing? And so I started learning. I, I, I took some courses. I'm a big believer of taking courses or some kind of program or whatever it is that aligns with your vision, just getting some form of education to help you. And I felt like my world just opened up. I was like, wow, I feel like I've been living under a rock. Like I had no concept of the digital world in terms of what was happening in um, like online business, I'll say. And that can include so many different things, whether it's blogging or vlogging or e-commerce or courses or memberships, even though I knew a little bit about that stuff, I really had no concept of what was happening in that world because I was living in a corporate world for so long in my safe protected cubicle, quote unquote safe, and I didn't really need to know that stuff. So once I got into it, I was like, whoa, there's just a lot here. And then that eventually turned into really understanding what, um, the people who were following me, which I was surprised people started following me, I guess that happens when you blog and do stuff on social media, they were really interested in how we made it work, how we were earning a living, how did we leave corporate and reinvent ourselves and you know everything that comes with that, making money, you know, so on and so forth, which then led into blogging more about remote work and eventually starting remote work school. I love that. And it's kind of an, a good natural progression and there's kind of... Is it, is it called a Venn diagram where the circles mm-hmm. like overlap and all of that? Is that, is yes. that what I'm saying? Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> well, one of the things that 
that people talk about is like finding that intersection between what you're really passionate about, what gets you mm-hmm. up, what gets you excited, mm-hmm. and that element of what people are willing to pay for. So the economics yes. behind that and like where you can provide value for for others. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds like with your experience transitioning into being on the road and figuring out, you know, like how you were able to start, you know, like finding a remote job and things like that. A lot of people are trying to work through that themselves. Yeah. And I should add that um, when you talk about the Venn diagram and what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what people will pay for, um, I will add that I I came into this um, phase of life with a background in course creation. I've been a a corporate trainer for a million years. So, and what's funny is I thought I would drop it. I was like, no, I want to reinvent myself like completely. I want to, I want to be an artist. I want to do that. You know, now's my chance in life. And um, I tried all these other things, which led me to a ton of remote jobs. You know, I, I think at this point, Bryce and I are up to something like 15 different ways of, of earning money remotely. And um, I came full circle. I came back into courses because what I realized is, well, now I can do it on my terms. It's not that I don't like, you know, it's not that I didn't want to be a corporate trainer or I didn't want to create courses or design something like that. It's just that I had done it for somebody else for so long that I wanted to just reject that whole part of me. And once I realized, well, wait a minute, now I get to do it the way I've always wanted to on my terms. I don't have to speak to any, you know, I don't have to get approvals. I don't have to go through 15 committees. I can just do what I want. It just opened up a whole new way of doing what I was already good at and did love um, in just a completely new way. How did you figure out that that was something that people started resonating with on your blog? Like, was it through comments? Did you write a couple articles about it? Because that, I mean, like, I guess at a more granular level, a lot of people want to talk through finding your niche and Mm -hmm. the thing that you can, you know, but it's all fun and games to talk about like finding a niche, but you can talk about the the most niche thing ever and nobody could still care. Yeah. So how did you figure out that people wanted to hear you share tips and resources around finding remote work? Yeah. So it was a combination of, I'm pretty intuitive. I get good gut feels on things. And so it was a com. I don't know that I really ever wrote like a direct remote work article on my blog. I think I had one that was like really old now, something like the six ways I've earned money since leaving corporate. And I mostly wrote that for myself. I was like, wow, I'm really impressed. Look at me. I I guess I know how to earn money not having a traditional job, which is all I knew for so long. And that, I think that was the first time where people, maybe there were some comments. At that point, I started emailing people. I started building a list. So I definitely started Uh, being more intentional about building an actual uh, audience, I guess you could say. And people started asking questions about that. And then I started doing surveys about, well, what do you want to know more about? I did little polls here and there. And it was just a combination of having a good gut feel about where this was headed. Also, like you said, using my talents. Not only was I a corporate trainer, but my job a million years ago was helping people get off of welfare back into the workforce. So I have this history of doing things like job placement, resume reviews, career advancement, training. You know, I come from the world of HR. So just knowing what people were interested in uh, and my background and then really just surveying them to find out what they want. And from that came my very first course. It's called Remote Work 101. 
when people are thinking about trying to find a remote job, I assume that a lot of them maybe went through a similar experience as, as you. They're tr maybe trying to hit the road in an RV or maybe they want to move to Italy and eat lots of pizza and gelato or whatever. <laughs> but the, the point is a lot of times maybe people are thinking, I need to, I just want to find something totally different. I'm feeling burned out. Mm -hmm. And I guess when people are coming to you and saying like starting at day one, what are, mm -hmm. what are they kind of sorting through? Like, what's the, like, what are they trying to, are they just trying to find a new job? Are they trying to find a new career path? Is it all the above? Well, it depends. So I tend to attract people who are, uh, I would say later in their career. So usually I'm, I'm working or attracting people who have had two or three careers or one very long career where they've, they have an identity. So I tend to get people who have a very strong work identity, like I was a corporate trainer, as an example. So I get people who are like, well, I've always been a teacher, or I've always been a administrative director, or whatever it is. So they're very tied to their identity. And they want to do something else, you know, whether it's travel or just work differently, whatever it is they want to do. But they're very stuck in their identity, and they don't really know what's possible. And they really don't know how to look at their skills objectively and see, okay, well, maybe I've always done this type of job, but I see a whole set of skills and background and experience that can transfer into so many different job types or industries. Or if you want to start over and re reinvent yourself, that's totally open too. So I help people see talent in themselves that they can't see, and I help them see a path uh, that's available to them when, when they're, they're feeling a bit stuck where they are. Was that a hard thing for you to let go of that identity as a corporate trainer? Like when you were thinking about doing something new, was that hard for you to say, I'm not this thing anymore? Yes. And in fact, I think you had a question that I was noodling on in the, it, you had sent some questions over about, you know, what was one of the hardest things when you made the transition? You know, there are very practical things that are tough, like, oh, I have to downsize all my possessions and, you know, I have to walk away from a job or I'm going to say goodbye to my family for a while. But then there are the unseen, the less practical, like an identity shift. And that stuff is hard because it just lives in you sometimes not totally consciously. So yeah, I mean, it was hard to get away from corporate trainer or some of the other labels that I've had. I've been a project manager and when you when you've worked in the in a field for so long, you develop such a strong identity around these things that even just seeing it differently, much less saying goodbye to it or walking away from it, which you don't always have to do, but even just reframing it. Like I can still be a project manager, but maybe I can do that now in a different way. Maybe I can do that for an online business. Maybe I could be a project manager temporarily for a project. So, you know, there's just new ways to see things, but it's just, it, it, it is hard, especially for people who have built up like, like you're saying, and I'm saying, very strong, long-rooted identities. I also would assume that a lot of times, if you've been in a career for 10 plus years, and this is me making an assumption, because mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe entrepreneurship is a career that I've been in in 10 years because I started <laughs> yes. in college, but you're so close to it that maybe you haven't seen all the career capital that you've built up. And so having somebody as a third party audit you and basically mm -hmm. say, hey, I know you think you're only a product manager, but really you've got this plethora of skills. Is that a big part of kind of that career pivot, if you will? 
Yeah, I mean, that's one piece of it. And that's the more pragmatic piece, right? Because you can take a big list of skills. And this is one of the, the tips that um, I think could be helpful for anyone listening to this podcast is just take a sheet of paper out, write down a whole big laundry list of skills. And skills can be anything. I mean, they can be anything from, you know, not even work-related. I can balance a checkbook. I can, you know, log on to uh, YouTube and watch videos of people like, that's a, that's a skill? Yeah, of course, because you can do that. Dig- if you can log on to YouTube, there's a lot of remote jobs you can do online. So, you know, just writing a big old list of skills and then really honing in on the ones that you really enjoy. Because, shoot, just because we can all do stuff doesn't mean we all should. So then it's like really getting into what are the ones that really light you up? What are the ones that you can transfer into some other career field that you think is aligned with what you want to do or maybe where you're headed? Um, But that's just one piece of it. I mean, there's so many different things you can do to unlock your potential. What do you think is the biggest fear that people have whenever they're, they've been in a job or a couple of jobs for many years and they're trying to do something new? Like what's, what's the fear, like one of the central fears that you've seen people have coming into working with you? I think the fear that I can say is completely universal, but then shows up differently for different people is fear. I think people are afraid of failing for sure. Like, well, what if I try this job and it doesn't work out? Or what if I'm not qualified and I don't get hired? I mean, that's just all general fear. But I think certain people have have fear show up differently. Some people, it might be, well, it might be rooted in something really practical. Like, well, I'm just not going to make enough money. That That is one of the biggest myths, by the way, that people have is that somehow because they're going to leave or maybe they've been downsized, um, I need to. I need to take a step back and say, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic as of this recording and lots of people have lost their job, uh, not by choice. And so, but the myth is that somehow you're going to make less money or you have to take a pay cut because you go remote. So that's another fear. And that, by the way, that's a myth. That is not true. I have plenty of students come through who make the same amount and sometimes even more money working remotely. Um, or the fear is that they, they lack confidence. I mean, that's another thing that shows up for people is they're like, well, who would hire me? I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I've never worked remotely. So how could I work remotely? Or maybe um, there are no jobs. That's another fear. There are no jobs. What am I going to do? They're all scams. I mean, the fear just shows up differently for, again, depending on where you're at in, in your phase and what's most important to you. That makes total sense. A lot of times when people are making a transition like this, how often would you say people actually go back and spend this time, this career pivot time to learn a totally new skill set that they didn't have before? Oh, wow. That that really depends on the person. Um, I've had a a couple of people come into my program who, uh, by the way, sometimes I get people in my program who are 70. And I have to tell you, I, I just get so dang inspired when someone who's 70 is like in my school and they're like, yeah, I want to reinvent myself. And I want to work remotely. And I'm like, you go. Like, (laughs) that's so freaking amazing. Anyway, but sometimes when people come in, kind of, I would say in their later years where they would traditionally be retiring, they may say something to me like, I don't want to go back to school. I'm not interested in, you know, having to go through it all over again. And then something happens and they're like, wait a minute. Wow, if I just took another course or if I just 
uh, maybe invested some time learning this thing over here. Look at, look at what's possible for me. So I think some people, uh, again, maybe later in their career are a little, a little, I would say kind of like, mm, I don't know that I really want to quote unquote start over, but then they get a little taste of what's possible and pretty soon they shift and they're like, yeah, I want to, what else can I do now? How, what else can I reinvent myself into? And it's really fun to watch. I love that. Whenever you, whenever people are going through, I guess, a hard moment or like going through pain, there needs to be enough kind of dissatisfaction in the moment or enough on the other side of the pain, mm -hmm. like reward wise to rationalize it. So when you think through people that you've worked with that have decided to kind of take a chance and learn and go after something new, mm -hmm. what, like what is on the other side for people? Like whenever they're, you know, thinking through kind of case studies and examples of people mm -hmm. who have been able to go through that. I mean, yourself included would be an example, I guess. But yeah. like if somebody is listening to this thinking, hey, man, I, I'm just not in love with what I'm doing in this moment. And I'm, I'm willing to learn and try new things like what what could be on the other side of that? Yeah, well, I think the, the clearest answer is likely anyone listening to this podcast, it's an RV lifestyle for sure. And it's one that can really align with the vision of how you want to travel and where you want to go and all that good stuff. I have a student named Kelly. She, I call her a star student. I mean, everyone's a star student, but um, Kelly was one of these people who, sh who showed up and she's very open about her age. She's 65. And she showed up and she was like, she just was like, I'm in, I am a hundred percent in, I want to change my lifestyle. I've been sitting at a desk for 10 plus years. And I saw, I saw you speak at something. It really lit me up. I I'm just like on fire and I want to live a different life. I want to travel. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do things on my terms. And that's exactly what she did. I mean, she just she just took every ounce of learning out of the program and just went and reinvented herself. And now she's, she's like completely working the Upwork channel. She's getting jobs on Craigslist. Whenever she feels like it, she's figuring out how to charge new prices. She recently told me she's downsizing from a fifth wheel into a smaller vehicle because she feels like being more nimble. She's speaking at events. She's, you know, so it's like, it just depends on what you want. And then you, you go out and you find the right either remote job or some, for some people it's a remote business. For some people, maybe it's just a combination of things that just puts them on the path of the way they've always wanted to live. I love that. Kelly sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people who probably aren't as cut out for running a business as they would like to think. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love, and one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the podcast is because you're not just talking about running a remote business or finding remote work. It's kind of figuring out probably what path aligns most with your skill set and where you want to go. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times, like we've had friends who have transitioned their lives to being on the road and try to start a business and be in a small space and do all of that all at once. And mm -hmm. it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then we've also had friends who have taken a different path where they just take their existing job. They ask their employer, some of the, sometimes their employer has never had anybody work remote before. Mm -hmm. I, you know, a few years ago, it's probably different now, mm -hmm. but the point being they were able to hit the road and take, they had one less new thing that they were doing. And I think that that's a really interesting approach for a lot of people is like, maybe you can actually have more freedom by having a remote job while traveling 
full-time in an RV than you may have running your business. You probably do. In a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a really good point. I would not underestimate the freedom of being able to take the job you have now, if you can on the road. And I, I actually tried to do that Heath with my um, former employer. When I talked to them about leaving, I first pr proposed working remotely. It's not like I wanted to leave my job. I loved my job actually. Um, but they said no. And I had worked there for 11 years and I was like a really good worker. I mean, I, I mean, in hindsight, they know they, they made a mistake because now their entire workforce is remote. Um, but they said, no, we don't do that here. That's never going to work. We can't function like that. I'm like, really? I've literally been working from home and you guys don't even know it because I had been working from home for months at that point and they never knew where I was. Um, but when I finally said, listen, I want to do this full time, they were like, no, we can't do it. And that forced me out of the nest. And I did, I, you know, I picked up some remote jobs. I think I even approached you at one point because you were getting campground booking uh, started. And I think I <laughs> pitched you on some sort of project management role. And you were like, yeah, no, too early for that. <laughs> we're, we're just now kind of building everything out. And I was just looking around for anything and everything, just trying to figure out. And, and so, yeah, that was really stressful in the beginning. I'd never had to work for myself. I've been lucky. I've always had jobs. I've always been one of those like good little employees. I just do what I'm told. And I, you know, I don't, I don't ruffle too many feathers. Although when I do, you know, I, I do. Um, but I was able to keep jobs and just keep job hopping for so many years. So then when I had to go out on my own, it was like, whoa, I, I don't know, like, this is a lot for me. And then I was like, well, I'm out on my own. I might as well just try my hand at a business, which nobody really trains you for that. So that's a whole nother phase that I, I've been learning about. And I'm about, I would say I'm a good two solid years in, in what I call being serious about business. I was dabbling before. Now I've been, I've been very committed to it in the last couple of years. What do you feel were some of the earliest takeaways for you in running a business? I remember right after we hit the road, I had started a business in college, so it wasn't my first time to kind of go down that path. For mm -hmm. Alyssa, it was. She mm. actually wanted to be an accountant when she grew up because it was very <laughs> defined, like, here's what you do, here's that, you know, like, so it was pretty big divergence from that. And mm -hmm. one of the things she struggled with, and, and she's talked about in the podcast and stuff, but was just time management and figuring yeah. out, like, how do you get up and what do you prioritize and how do you, like, what do you feel were a couple of the bigger obstacles for you as you were getting the remote school up and launched and mm -hmm. having a new business uh, and things like that? Oh my gosh, so many things. I mean, well, luckily for me, I'm really, really self-motivated. So I'm not one of those people who like, I need a schedule. If, if I had uh, 24 wakeful hours in a day, I'd probably work them all. I'm just, I'm just so determined. I think I've like sheer determination. I know that that's not healthy. So now I'm learning how to have more balance and take time off and, you know, just really have more freedom that I really wanted in the first place instead of working all the time. But I actually really, really love it. I'm, I'm quite addicted to it because um, this is fun and it's creative and it's interesting and 
you can always learn and I'm a lifelong learner, but I would say that I think some of the hardest things really, it goes back to the identity. You know, when I worked in corporate, I was always sought after for whatever, whatever it was, you know, project management or some sort of corporate training project or thought leadership or whatever. When I got out of corporate, I wasn't known for anything. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared what I thought. And so that was really hard. It was like, well, gosh, nobody knows me. Do I have any value? And so there was this whole thing around what is my value and how, how do I define it? And would anybody pay me for it and why? And so I had to go through a bit of reinvention and really doing some deep work around what, what, what do I want to be known for? And then I went through, well, do I want to be stuck in that new box? Because a lot of, you brought up niching. A lot of the problem that people have with niching is people resist it because they don't want to be stuck in a box. You know, I don't, I don't want to be an RV blogger for the rest of my life. And then they, you know, spend a lot of time avoiding the box, right? And so there's just a whole lot of, I think, um, soul searching in building a business, not for everyone. I think some people can go off and start whatever they want and they can detach themselves from all of that. That's not who I am. You know, it's brought up a lot of stuff for me. So I think the emotional journey of starting a business and then more recently, it's realizing I'm in it for the long game and I don't need to make everything a sprint. Just slowing down and just looking at my long-term vision has helped a lot. I, no, I, I don't have anything to say to that. I just like that all. <laughs> so sometimes, I, sometimes I feel like I need to have something to say to everything. And um, I think that that's just a really good reminder. And it's something that I think most entrepreneurs, whether they want to admit it or not, go through. Mm-hmm. I was at a retreat this past week with a group of founders. And one of the sessions was titled The Founder's Journey, The Real Shit. Mm. Um, and Basically, it was just kind of a group of people that start off kind of fluffy and high level about why we do what we do. And and then it started getting more and more real, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just saying like I thought, you, you know, and so I think that's just something that every entrepreneur is going to go through at some point is like that emotional journey of starting of starting their thing. Uh, that makes sense. I um, really want to ask you tons of questions, but I know I'm not supposed to. So I'm going to you can hold ask, back. You can ask a question. Well, uh, so is that true for you? I think I think sometimes I think about you and Alyssa, and I think, gosh, you guys got started so much earlier than me, and I'm a little envious of that because I'm like, oh my gosh, you have like 20 years on me, and wouldn't that be have been a gift? But it sounds like you too have gone through some of those same those same um, I guess the emotional journey or the entrepreneur's journey, as you call it. One, one of the questions that came up in that topic of discussion was, why are you doing what you're doing? Why? Mm-hmm. Seriously, it's not easy. Why are you doing this? And getting really clear about that and knowing also that that why is going to change and evolve. Um, what is the tape reel that is going on in your head? So mm-hmm. like, what are you telling yourself um, about everything? And then how are you doing and being honest about those three questions. Hmm. Um, And for me, you could answer all of them or just one. For me, I answered the tape reel one. And my tape reel was, I'm falling behind. I'm not moving fast enough. I'm going to (laughs) fail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously, that's that's been a tape reel that I've had in my head, mostly as it pertains to building software company and stuff. And and because that's been my main focus the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so I think that recognizing that that was my tape reel and, mm-hmm. and, and like, that's the, that's a hard part for a lot of people is like recognizing what is, what is the thing you're telling in your head that's causing you to feel bad about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and that was a big one for me. And once, once I kind of identified it and said it out loud, 
I realized that it's not true. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of times the tape reels that we're telling ourselves just aren't actually true. And if we can stop long enough to voice them, they lose a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we were talking about emotional runway and things like that earlier. And I think a big part of emotional runway is getting that tape roll right. And, and yeah. also it's, it sounds a bit woo woo, but I, I do firmly believe that we will manifest the things that we're thinking about. If we're thinking, it's kind of like riding a mountain bike. You look where you're going. And if you look yeah. like right in front, you're going to fall. So you have to kind of look where you want to go. It's the same with like NASCAR and stuff. But mm-hmm. the, the thing is, we, if we're thinking, I'm going to fail, I'm falling behind, you will fail and you will yeah. fall behind versus like saying, you know, I'm going to going to crush it. I'm going to be the best. And, and it's kind of rewriting that tape roll, which we can do. And it's not, it's not an easy thing, but I think a big part of it is acknowledging. So to answer your question, like that's a tape roll that I'm working through in this moment is kind of spinning this negative thing. And part of that negative thing maybe is the motivating factor for me. It's a reason why it's hard for me to sit still. It's Mm -hmm. why I want to push and be successful and all those types of things, but it's not worth it if it ruins the journey for me, because there's going to be no result for me that was worth an experience that it wasn't enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I relate to everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that, that's, that's how it has been for me for sure. And, and on the flip side, I look at, I just look at all my friends who are further Mm -hmm. along than me. So I think that that cycle goes on whether, Mm -hmm. you know, where, no matter where you're at, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And I I would imagine even for your friends who you think are quote unquote further along than you, they have all the same failings. Like they're not as further along as the next person or, (laughs) you know, it's like, ugh, I don't know why we do that to ourselves. Yeah, it's a it's a vicious cycle. So one of the takeaways for me from that whole experience this past week was that I need to make sure and allocate enough time to because I've I've been spending a lot of time just kind of waking up, getting the weeds, knock things out. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And that's fine. And I know that but at the same time, it's reallocating uh, you know, it's kind of a buzzword. I think we talked about it before we jumped on recording, but self care, I know it mm-hmm. sounds corny, but yeah. really get it like taking enough time during the day and recognizing that it's important. And that if you don't do it, the risk is really high, not only mm-hmm. might you fail, but you could burn out. Um, you know, and for me, that's kind of reading, um, learning, like finding more ways to be thoughtful about that tape reel, mm-hmm. um, going on walks, medit- you know, whatever that happens to be. And so I'm mm-hmm. working through that won't pretend to have the answers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Love it. Anyway, yeah, I know a little side note. So uh, I had a couple more notes of things I want to talk with you about sure. specifically, uh, just switching gears a little bit talking about launching a course. Mm-hmm. And this was a world that you didn't know a lot about. And now you do you've done yeah. several iterations, you've done uh, full time freedom week, it's not really a course, it's more like an event slash course, but it's still right. kind of in that same realm. So mm-hmm. once you decided that you're going to help people find remote work, mm-hmm. um, how did you decide? How did you start like put, putting the packaging together? Like, how did you write and develop the course? Did you have a beta test? Did you work with users, coaching call research? What was that process like? Sure. Well, and, and as a reminder, um, so I was a corporate trainer, um, as I mentioned, in, in a million different environments. So it's like I had the course I had the background in courses and course creation and all of that. What was new for me was launching as well as I I believe courses on the outside of corporate are very different than they are on the inside. And so I had to go through a really big learning curve on how to adapt my skills to a different type of industry. Um, That said, I am, I am, 
I'd probably go against the grain a little bit from a lot of people who talk about doing online courses. I don't think everyone should start off building a course, even though they think they, they should. You know, courses are all the rage. Oh, let's do a course, whatever. I'm big on launch an idea. It's almost like a minimum viable product concept, but it's like launch an idea to see if it's viable enough to then go and develop it further. And so with Remote Work 101, it happened so accidentally. I was working with um, the Full-Time Freedom Week, which we hadn't even conceptualized Full-Time Freedom Week at the time. We were still in a mastermind and Liz, I think a lot of your listeners might know Liz Wilcox. Uh, she was like, hey guys, uh, let, I wanna do an event. You know, she gets these wild ideas. I want that to do does an sound, event. That does sound like Liz. I can do a really good <laughs> Liz impression, I tell you. I'm holding back right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so she's got this wild idea. And then the next thing she says is, and you you all need to sell a product. You need a product. And Lindsay and I didn't have a product. Liz had a product. Julie had a product. We're like, a product? Like, we am barely blogging. Like, what does that going to look like? And so I ended up doing what you shouldn't do. And that is, I did, I developed um, that very first, I'll call it a beta, as you called it, course. It was, I don't know, it was called like how to find remote work or something. And I, I got that thing up in, thir in 30 days. Like I, it just killed me to do it. It was exhausting. Got it up and was able to put it as part of that package. And then the next year, I wanted to redo the whole thing. And so this time I approached it differently where I said, no, I'm not going to launch a course because I know better than that. I want to launch an idea. And so I ended up emailing my list, talking about this idea, putting out a survey. So I'm really big on data, asking the right questions, and then taking that data and looking at things like, what are, what are the biggest questions? What do people want to know? Where are they getting stuck? Um, what do they want? Like, what's the transformation going to look like if they were to go through some kind of a course? Um, what would they pay for it? I always ask people, what would you pay if you got this result, et cetera. From that, I was able to build a framework of a course. Again, not building the full course, just a framework for a course. And then selling the idea and selling people on the framework. And then what I did is I built the course on the back end once I had people in. So people call that a pre-sell strategy. Um, I just come at it maybe a little bit differently than some people because I don't even really know what it is I'm totally going to build until I know the people who actually bought it from me. And then I build off of that audience. Got it. And what platform did you use? I know that part doesn't matter as much, yeah. but I'm just curious. Uh, the first one I ever did when I put it in the full-time Freedom Week package was just on my website. It was on the back end of my website. It was horrible. Like it just because me and websites, we just don't get along. <laughs> um, so then I, I got wise and I just went and, and did it on teachable, um, which I think you, you guys are on teachable with, with your yep. course. Uh, and that's an easy and pretty cost effective platform to start with. Now in 2021, I'm moving everything over to um, a platform called Kajabi. Um, not like you said, none of this is that relevant because the, the platform doesn't really matter. I think what matters most is, you know, are you, do you have a good delivery mechanism and is it easy enough for people to maneuver through? Totally makes sense. As far as getting those initial students, a lot of people have ideas or things that they're working on for courses, but they may also still be 
building an audience. And mm-hmm. so did you have a ton of blog followers or email subscribers? How did you find those initial people to come into your course? Or was that through <sighs> full-time freedom week? No, I swear. It, I, sometimes I look back and I go, how did I do what I did? Like, cause I, I can't say I started with a strategic plan. Let me say that. I had like zero business plan here. I was just trying things. And that, I will say, that is one of my gifts. That's one of my zones of genius is just trying stuff and then learning and then figuring out, okay, that worked, that didn't work. What did I need to do differently? But I will say at that time when I have launched that version of that idea, I had about, I want to say maybe 500 people on an email list. And I just emailed them and I was like, Hey, I did this survey. This is what you told me this. And I I will say that one of the things I did do is I kept people along for the journey. So I started with, um, uh, you know, emailing them. I maybe had a blog post or two. I I don't think I had pumped out much content at that point. Um, but I was always emailing. I was always checking in. I, I wanted to know about them and, and, uh, what they wanted. And when you have a small list, it's much easier to do. And then I had pulled them along the journey with the surveys and then I reported on the survey. So I will say that I was really good at just keeping people informed about what I was working on. And then by the time I released it, I had, I think 50 people bought my very first course and I sold it for $47. So, you know, I wouldn't say that it's like, oh my gosh, it was the most, you know, lucrative endeavor, but I, I didn't set out for it to be that way either. I was testing. And um, so, yeah, about 50 people purchased that first one, $47. And then I built it on the back end, like I said before. And so I think in that lesson, it was just being really transparent with people about what I was working on. And they were genuinely interested. Yeah, a lot of times people feel the need to try to hide something until it's fully live. And I almost never think that unless you're Apple, nobody really cares (laughs) that much about an unveil. They really don't, you know, but it's really always insightful getting to be a part of the process and hearing like what you're working on Mm -hmm. and it's messy and it's sometimes awkward, but a lot of times we just want to hold on to those things and keep them close to the chest and it really ends up probably being a disservice to people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they love having a voice. I think if you can allow people to have input and they genuinely feel heard and they know that you're building something specifically for them it goes a long way. I mean, it makes them feel valued. And by the way, you should be building things that people want. So, you know, it's, it's a win-win. Absolutely. I just have a few more kind of rapid fire questions. Sure. Uh, one is what's your, I know you probably have a good answer for this because you like to read and take courses, but what's been your favorite book you've read this year? Ooh, this year. Oh, um, okay. So I haven't done as much reading this year. I will say I just started reading uh, Fareed Zakaria's 10 Lessons in a Post-Pandemic World. Mm. I don't know if it's my favorite, um, but it is very thought-provoking and is making me rethink a lot of things. Interesting. So, um, yeah. I will also add in The Big Leap which I really uh, encourage a lot of people to read who are going through any kind of transition. Is that Elizabeth Gilbert? Who wrote that? No, I love that. I love her books. No, uh, I think it's, uh, let me, Gay Hendricks, I think. Okay, sweet. I'll, I'll find it and link up to it in the show You'll notes. love it. You'll love it. And just kind of a macro high-level lesson or high-level thing, but uh, what is 
one of your biggest lessons from 2020, just as like, <sighs> when you think through this year, if you were kind of sitting down at the end of the year, writing a recap of your biggest lessons from this year, like what would, what would one of those be? My gosh, 2020. I wish you had asked me this in 2019 <laughs> or 2021. Anything but this year, Heath. Um, All the more reason to share. Yeah, wow. The biggest lesson is really understanding my value to other people and knowing that what I have to offer, I can, I can offer it in a messy state and I need to get it out sooner and not wait for perfection to deliver it because more people can be helped with a solution than with an idea that never gets off the shelf. That's such a good lesson takeaway for everyone. Yeah, you Yay. nailed it. Um, <laughs> Yay. Well, well, Camille, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If people want to connect with you online, where's a good place for them to, uh, to follow you or to chat with you? Sure. Uh, Morethanawheeland.com is our RV and remote work website. Um, for now, and the next year, I'm starting on a new brand. So that should be fun. But yeah, I think that's the best place for now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Camille, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Camille. If you enjoyed it and want to learn more and dive in deeper on how to find your remote job, you can go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash remote, where you can sign up for Camille's free masterclass on finding remote work. That's heathandalyssa.com forward slash remote. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, and I'll see you next time.